Mark chapter 5. The Lord will enable me today. I'm going to uh, look at a couple of miracles here that Jesus did back to back. Actually, he did three miracles here back to back. Um... This particular time, Jesus was actually uh, zigzagging back and forth across the the sea, going from one town to another on opposite sides of the of the sea. He had just healed the uh, demonic man who had several demons in him and cast those demons out into a herd of swine and. Uh, it was right after that that we pick up where we're going to be reading today. Um, verse 21, Mark chapter 5 and verse 21, I want to mainly look at these two miracles that Jesus did. However, I don't want to slight the miracle that happened before. I think that the Lord had done these miracles uh, in procession as he did. Uh, to show forth not only his power and glory, but also his compassion uh, upon people. And uh, truly healing that demoniac of all his demons. Matter of fact, the Bible said that uh, he had many demons in him. Whenever Jesus asked that guy what the demons, what his name was, he said, I am legion for we are many. And uh, if you look, the word legion in Roman, at least speak, means thousands. You know, it means a bunch of, bunch, you know. So there was lots of demons. We can assume there was at least 2,000 or maybe more, mm-hmm. but at least 2,000 at the end of the, at the end of the miracle when he cast the devils out into the swine, uh, it says that there was, uh, uh about 2,000. So, uh, there was a bunch in this man. And so you can imagine the miracle of Jesus healing this man of these demoniac, uh, these demons being possessed in this man, showing his sovereignty, his godhood, that even the demons feared him. They trembled at him. They knew who he was. They worshipped him. The demoniac man, whenever he seen Jesus was there, he came and fell down and the demon that was controlling him, worshipped at his feet, begged him not to uh, torture him. Uh, and so these uh, demons knew who Jesus was, and they revered him, they worshipped him uh, as God. That doesn't mean that they that they were saved. We know that they're not saved. Uh, matter of fact, all the demons are reserved for judgment. Uh, they are reserved along with Satan, to experience judgment in the end, which is the lake of fire. But uh, these, uh, while these demons don't believe on Jesus, they know who he is, and they know who he is, and worship him for who he is. And that, I can, can't can say that for a lot of people. <laughs> they know who Jesus is, but they don't worship him for who he is. But this morning I want to pick up with right after that miracle in Verse 21, and we see Jesus it says, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, he had 
started on this side. He had went over to the other side, which is in Gadara, uh, and that's where he experienced the Gadarean demoniac. And he went over there, and he went over there specifically to, to heal this man. Whenever he got done with that, now he's back over and he says, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and that name, I don't know, maybe said differently. That's how I've grown up being told how it's said. I've not really looked into it exactly how you say it. I think it's more like Eerius. But anyway, uh, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And besought him greatly, saying, My daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him in the press and said, who touched, uh, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and thou sayest, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the, the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. But they laughed him to scorn, but when he had put them all out... He taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was laying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. 
and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Father, I come to you now and we ask, Lord, that you just might be with us as we look into your word now, that we might look upon the face of Jesus Christ who shineth forth the glory of God. And Father, we ask that you just might enlighten our understanding by your Holy Spirit, that you might give us to know the things of Christ that we see here. Lord, may you help me to be able to preach the word and to be able to open up the things exalting Christ Jesus in this passage. Lord, I pray that you would teach us the eternal things that are here before us, that you might bring praise and honor upon your Son by the glories that are seen uh, of what he did uh, in in these uh, two miracles. Lord, we know that you are the God of miracles and that all things can be done by you and nothing can withhold your hand. We know that you are sovereign over all things and nothing can can uh, change your mind, nothing can stay your hand, nothing can keep you from doing as you please. And Father, we just uh, are grateful to be able to behold the works of Christ Jesus before us this morning. And we ask, Lord, that as we see these things, we will see the true sovereignty of God, we will see the work and salvation of God, we will see the mighty overcoming of God in the redemption of his people. And so, Father, we just pray now that you would help us see the gospel, even in these miracles. We know that all these things, while they are physical, while they were truly a natural thing that happened, they portray a much deeper and spiritual uh, meaning for the children of God. And, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to pull that out today and to put that on display as we honor our Lord and Father, I just ask that you just might be uh, with all these brethren that are here, that you might give them understanding, that you might give them encouragement for all those who are watching by Facebook. Lord, we pray that you would encourage them also by the word of God and that the Holy Spirit would teach today. And that I might not be seen, that I might not be uh, honored or gloried, Lord, because I'm just a servant of Christ, as we just sang, that you have called to do this uh, to do this before the congregation. Lord, we know that the Spirit of God is the true teacher, that without the Spirit, all the words that I say will be of no effect, will be of no uh, understanding, but the Spirit only can give us the right understanding of these things. And so we ask Him come and teach us today. And Lord, we again thank you for this opportunity we have. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as I mentioned just a little bit ago, <clears throat> we just seen that Jesus had de- uh, healed the demoniac, which showed God's great power <clears throat> that even the demons, Satan and the demons, fear and tremble at who he is. They, uh, they know who he is, but yet whenever they come and worship him, they worship him as God and they worship him in fear because they know uh, what their fate is and that it's a sealed fate. Uh, those uh, demons, they knew that Jesus uh, will one day cast them into the lake of fire and that their torment will be real. It will be forever. And along with them will be Satan. Along with them will be all the wicked uh, who are not Christ. And uh, that is a, a real thing that is really going to happen. But we see that God's sovereignty, God's Godship, as I said, is on display uh, there 
But as Jesus moved in to uh, to these two miracles, we see that redemption is uh, displayed in these two miracles. We see first the uh, redemption, and if you will allow me, in the woman with the issue of blood that we just read about, we'll see God's redemption uh, in overcoming our sin. Uh, Christ coming as our sacrifice, Christ coming as our substitute, living the law perfectly, uh, living obedient to the Father on our behalf, and then dying in our place and taking on our sin upon Him and removing all iniquity, all the effects of sin uh, that have uh, that have plagued us, uh, He removes those, and now we stand pure, we stand whole, we stand righteous before God, and uh, all of that we receive or we believe by faith. We believe it to be ours. We believe that Christ will do that for us by faith. And so we see the great picture of Christ's salvation of his people in this woman with the issue of blood. And then in the second part, the second miracle, the raising of Jairus' daughter, we see the, the end effect of that salvation that, that not only does God take care of our sin, and redeem us, but there is also coming a day whenever death, you know, it doesn't have any more control over us either. Sin and death are the two biggest enemies that the child of grace has. And God has taken away sin, He has taken away death. Those, The Bible says that those who are the children of God, that they shall never perish. They will never die. And I'll get into that just a little bit whenever we get into this. But we see the two great pictures of the uh, of the legal aspect of salvation, and we see the final um, uh, commensuration uh, of that salvation in the fact that there is a raising of life, there is a giving, uh, bringing back from the dead, and bringing back to life, which is a picture of the final resurrection that we will experience when we will finally be made whole. Whenever our inside, which is perfect, which is the life of God in us, is now uh, united with a body that knows no sin, that cannot die, that that, that is not plagued with, with sin. And we don't even have any clue how that's going to be because we've never been without sin. The Bible says that in sin, uh, our mothers conceived us, that we were... We were born or conceived in sin. That means from the moment that we are, 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 are given life in the womb, we are sinful people. We are sinful by nature. That's who we are in our father Adam, in the seed Adam, in the flesh, in the natural man, we are, are sinful. And the only thing that can cure the legality of sin again, or the legality of the law uh, and, and all the sin that is in us and how it is against and transgresses the law of God, the only way that that can be taken care of is by the work of Christ alone making us whole. By Christ giving us his garment of righteousness. So now let's go through and look at this and we'll see how redemption and final salvation is displayed in these two miracles of Jesus.
So we see here that Jesus said, after healing the demonic man, he said, that, let's go on to the other side. He said, and when Jesus was passed over again by ship, on the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. Now, as I said, Jesus had been zigzagging back and forth. I mean, he was on this side, and then he said, we need to go over to the other side. Well, why did he need to go over to the other side? Well, there was a specific man that in the purpose of God, he was sent to heal of those demons. And he went over there and healed them of the demons, and that was it. And then they went back over to where they came from. And so we see here that there is divine appointment in all these matters. Jesus didn't do anything just willy-nilly. Everything that he did, he did on purpose, or according to purpose, if you'd have it. Uh, everything he does is according to purpose. Jesus said that I've come to do all the will of the Father. He did all the will. He didn't miss anything. Everything had its appointed time. Uh, and we'll see that, actually, uh, we, we see that at the very end of this chapter. We see that Jesus had an appointed time, and there were certain things that he did so that that appointed time would not take place before his appointed time. Uh, he had an, a specific time and specific things to fulfill before his death, before his ascension, before his going back to heaven. So, we see here that he had a specific appointment. So he went to Gathering, he came back, and he came back knowing that he had a specific person that was going to come to him. Two specific persons, in fact, one on the way to go into the first one. It says, And Jesus was passed over again by ship under the other side. Much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh under the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him... He fell at his feet. Now this is kind of a strange thing because we know mo most of the religious rulers of that day, uh, they actually hated Jesus. Uh, they didn't care for him at all. But you see that the Bible has taught us that there were many of the religious leaders who believed on Jesus. Uh, we know that, uh, that uh, uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus uh, there was a, a, a Joseph of Arimathea. I'm not for sure whether or not he was a religious leader or not, but he was a well-to-do man uh, of the people. And uh, there was uh, several uh, several people that had uh, um, that had professed or had believed on Jesus who were of those religious leaders. And here we see one that definitely. Um, had been given to think that Jesus was the answer to his daughter's problem. He said, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. This man obviously recognized Jesus to be uh, a, a, a ruler, or, a, or a, at least a teacher, someone worthy to be reverenced, and so he fell at his feet. And it says, and he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. So she had not died yet, but she was on the, on the point of dying. He says, I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and shall live. Now here this man believed that Jesus was the one who could do the healing. 
He didn't have any doubt. He said, I know if you just come and, and lay your hands on her that she'll be healed. Whatever this plague is, whatever the sickness is, if you come, put your hands on her. He had full confidence in Jesus Christ. He had full confidence and faith that Christ could heal whatever it was that his daughter had. And so he came in reverence asking. And I also think about that whenever we come before the Lord. We come to the Lord always asking for a lot of things. Matter of fact, this week, several occasions over the last few weeks actually, going in working on x-ray equipment, especially on some equipment that I went and worked on and got it going, and then a few days later it broke down again, and I had to go back and fix it again, and left, and then had to go back again, and everything, and trying to figure out, all with all the complexities of the system, trying to figure out exactly what's causing this thing to break down. And just like the other night, I was in Russellville, and I got into this place, it was kind of starting to get late, I was later than I thought I was going to be getting there, and... By the time I got in there and everything, I'd already been there three times to work on this machine. And as I was working in, I just stopped and prayed. I said, Lord, please let this be the thing that fixes this thing. And I come knowing because only God can change those issues. Only God can change the circumstances. Only God can perform a miracle or, or make things so as they are so. Only God can do that. And a lot of times we talk about luck, we talk about fortune, we talk about chance, we talk about all these things. And we say, well, I hope it does that, meaning I hope so hope, where in Christ Jesus, that's where all of our confidence should lie. And sure enough, I went in and I changed the part out on the thing and tested it. And as I tested it, everything was testing fine. I over-tested it to make sure that it was going to keep running. And as of today, it's still still running good. So I pray that that actually fixed it. Uh, but I asked the Lord that he would do that. Well, here's this man coming and he's reverencing the Lord. But a lot of times we run to the Lord just thinking we're owed something. We're owed something. And so we come and we want something and we want it like that. And we think that we ought to get it. We think that we deserve something. Matter of fact, we don't deserve anything, to be honest. The very fact that the Lord allows us to continue living, and especially the wicked, those who are not of the elect, uh, the reason that God allows them to stay living is because of His purpose in them and then the ultimate destruction that He has created them for. Now, some people will say it's because of common grace, but there is no such thing as common grace. The Lord only gives grace to the elect. Everything else that the wicked experience, whether it be rain or sunshine or food or clothing or all those types of things, all that is is God preserving them for the day of destruction. Okay, That is not common grace. There's no such thing as common grace. Grace is only found in the eyes of Christ and Christ only gives mercy and compassion on whom he will give compassion. And he only gives that onto the elect of God. So we see here this man comes in reverence to Christ. And whenever we come to Christ, we need to come knowing that there is nothing in us that can change our circumstance. There is nothing in us that can change us. And as this man here, he knew the only thing that could heal this plague or heal this disease that had his daughter of the sickness that had his daughter, is Christ. 
And as we look at things in salvation, people try to find salvation in a lot of things. They think salvation is coming to church. If I just come to church, you know, then then I'm going to be considered saved. I'm going to be saved. Or I'm born into a Christian family. If I'm born into a Christian family, then obviously I'm going to be uh, uh, a Christian. I'm going to be saved. That's not true either. Okay, some people think that if I'm baptized in water or sprinkled with water or whatever, that I'm going to be a Christian. Or if I just do enough good deeds, if I do enough good works, then I'm going to be it. Or God inheriting everybody is some good and God's going to know that and He's just going to give salvation. Matter of fact, if you look at the world, you see things on TV and you listen to things, everybody's going to heaven, it seems like, right? Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. It doesn't matter who they are, how bad they are, what they've done, you know, whether or not they've ever professed Christ or anything like that. Everybody has a thought that I'm going to heaven. And why is that? Because nobody ever thinks that they're worthy to go to hell. Nobody thinks that they're worthy enough to be sent to hell. They all think they've done enough good. And again, this comes back to what we preach about all the time, is that man inherently is full of self-righteousness. That's what Adam's downfall was. That's what Eve's downfall was. That's what every one of their seed is that their downfall is, is we believe that there is some self-righteousness in us, that there is something that we can do that God is going to say, hey, good job, I think I'll let you in. And that's not how salvation takes place. It's only whenever we come to know or be given to know that there is in us no good thing, as Paul said. It's whenever God has given to us to know and to come reverently, to come beggingly before God with all uh, restraint off, coming fully and knowing that there is no hope in anything else besides Christ. We try to find salvation in other methods. Some people think it's in meditation. Some people think it's in finding themselves, going on long journeys and walks, and, and finding out who they really are. Other religions, they have other things that they do to try to merit salvation. And people think that if they follow those things, that they're going to be saved. But brethren, salvation, the Bible says that there is no other name given among men whereby men must be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. That salvation is only by Christ Jesus. And this man, whenever he came to Jesus, even though he was a ruler of a synagogue, and I'm sure he had status, being a ruler of a synagogue. He had status. And yet whenever he came, he fell as a beggar before Christ. Why? Because he knew all hope was gone from everything else. I'm sure this, this man in the synagogue had probably, in whatever uh, fashion, had prayed that his daughter be healed. He's probably sought after doctors, just like this woman with the issue of blood, sought after doctors. But yet this man, he had no uh, hope anywhere else. He found the only hope was in Christ Jesus. And brethren, those who are the people of God, whenever God changes their heart and changes their mind, whenever God gives them uh, to know of their sin, to know of their the plague or the sickness that's upon them, which is sin, whenever God gives them to know that truly, that there is no hope, that there's no hope for them. That's whenever that person is given 
faith in Christ Jesus, to know that there is no, no hope for me except in Christ Jesus. And this man came to Christ Jesus because he knew that his daughter, if there was any hope for her to be saved, it would be because of Christ and what he could do if he was gracious enough to do it. Now let's look. He says, <clears throat> And besought him greatly, saying, My daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and that she shall live. And she shall live. He knew that it could happen, and he asked if he would be willing to do that, if he would come and do that. See, this man knew that Christ could do this very easily. But if Christ would do this, is the, is the key. Will Christ do this? Will Christ perform this miracle on his daughter? And so he come knowing that he shouldn't come boasting, he shouldn't come demanding, he shouldn't come expecting because of his status. No, he came on his knees. Lord, I know that you can do this. If you will come, she will live. He knew it was all up to his will. And salvation is up to God's will. It's not up to the will of man. It's not up to the choices of men. It's not up to the picked out destinies that we choose for ourselves. It's up to Christ. It's up to God. God has given Christ a people and He has chosen a people for Himself. And He has chosen those whom He will save. And so whenever we, as Christians, as the elect of God, who have been given to know our sin, and to come to Christ Jesus, and to believe on Christ Jesus, as we pray for those that we love, as I pray for you, my kids, and my friends, and everybody else that I know, my other family, and everything like that, I pray that the Lord would save them. We come knowing that there is not salvation in me or my wife or in this church. We know that there isn't any salvation in any other thing except in Christ Jesus if he is pleased to do so. And that's what I pray, continually pray. Not that I think that I'm going to change God's mind, but I continually pray because I know that he's given us to pray for each other. And so we pray that God would do this thing, that he would save and if he would be pleased to do it. And I know that if God is going to save any of us, he's going to save us because he chose to do so. And if he doesn't save any of us, he has chosen not to do so. And if he does save any of us, then we also know that none of us deserve that salvation. None of us was good enough to merit or earn that salvation. He did it at his own pleasure by His grace and through His love, He did that. And if He doesn't save any of us, then we also know that that too is God's prerogative as the sovereign and creator of all things, and that God, because of His holiness and us because of our sinfulness, deserve all the wrath that God would ever pour out upon us. And so we know that to be true. And so we say to God that He is the most high and that he is most wise and what he does is holy. And so we see this man, he knew that in Christ Jesus lied all hope. And so he came and asked him. And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. And so Jesus was willing to go. And so they began 
their trick. Now, we're going to pause this miracle that's about to happen, and we're going to go to the second miracle, which was this woman, because as they began to walk to this man's house, there was a throng of people that began to crowd around Jesus, as often happened. And it says here, it says, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. So here we see a woman that had some sort of a, a, a disability, some sort of a sickness where she had a continual flow of blood. She was losing blood. I know a lot of people have speculated a lot of different things. I'm not going to speculate on this. If, if there's actually biblical proof of that, uh, I would love to learn it. But uh, as it is now, I don't know of it. All I know is it says that she had an issue of blood. She had a bleeding problem. And she continued to bleed. And she went to physicians, many physicians it says here. And she said she spent all the money that she had and nothing had worked, nothing had helped. Nothing had given her what she needed in her healing. But whenever she heard that Christ was coming through, it says here, when she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. When she heard that Jesus was near, she went to him and pressed through the crowd and touched his garment. So here again we see this woman had exhausted all hope. Now the first man, we don't know. We don't know how much hope he exhausted before he came to Jesus. You know, I, I only speculated on the fact of all his praying and seeking things and all like that. I, I don't know that. All we know is that he came directly to Jesus and said, I know that if you can heal, she'll be made alive. This woman here, we're told she tried everything. She went everywhere, tried everything, and then finally was given to come straight to Christ, knowing that he could heal her, if she could just touch his garment. Okay? Now here we see the redemption of God's people. And like I was saying, we try a lot of things. We go through a lot of things before we ever come to Christ. I've tried religion before. I tried, you know, if I read my Bible enough, you know, if I'm a good church boy, you know, I did a lot of things around the church that I grew up in, and I taught in Sunday schools, and I taught it in through in the pulpit. I traveled and sang, and I preached in revivals, and did all kinds of stuff. And uh, uh, you know, I was in uh, fellowship of Christian athletes, and you know, anything that I could do, and I was always. Wearing religious, you know, shirts, hats, and different things that spoke of religious things, and and people in town knew me as a preacher's kid, grandkid, and and you know knew that I was, you know, went to church. Now my friends that I actually ran around with, they knew there was another side to me that wasn't that, but uh, needless to say, I had tried it, you know, all these things to make myself feel good that I was who I said I was when I knew I wasn't what I said I was. And I did all these things and I tried all these things and nothing could shake my conscience and it wasn't until the Lord finally, 
brought me to my knees and knowing that, you know, you can run, you can do all the things you want to try to present yourself as a righteous person, but that's never going to clear your conscience. And at the end of the day, it didn't. I've told you guys often in the story uh, that whenever I was younger, uh, you know, we was always told that we need to keep short accounts with God, that we always, you know, need to keep, a, you know, pray, you know, keep, keep uh, confessing our sin before God, you know, because any of that sin will hinder your fellowship with Christ and, and everything, and you'll grow cold and, and, and all this stuff, and uh, he'll turn his back on you, turn his, you know, eye from you, and, and everything like that. And so I, I mentioned before how often I would lay awake at night in my bed and I would go through and I would try to remember every little thing that I knew that I had sinned that day. I tried to confess that and I would go like a laundry list. I would just go right down the list of everything that I could remember. And then when I get to the end of it, I would beg God to say, I really have tried to remember everything, but I know if I forget something... Will you please forgive that too? You know? And I knew that if God would just listen to those prayers, that through that praying and confessing, then everything is going to be made right. Well, I tried that, but it never did, it never did clean the conscience. Me going to church, Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning worship service, Sunday night, uh, discipleship training, Sunday night, worship service, Wednesday night Bible study, whenever we had fellowships in between, revivals in between, whatever it was, I was always there. I volunteered for things at church to keep up an appearance of being involved with the church, being involved in the ministry, showing my love for Jesus by making sure that I'm at every event, at every exercise of everything that's going on through the church. But at the end of the day, I never did clean my conscience. I knew that I wasn't righteous. I knew that all those things were not making me whole. It wasn't making me righteous. And finally, there was a point that the Lord brought to me that I will never be righteous in and of myself. And that I never can gain righteousness in and of myself. And here I can sympathize with this woman who had tried everything. I mean, can you imagine having a sickness? I mean, all of us has had sicknesses before. Can you imagine having something like a bleeding disorder? My boys have bleeding disorders. But yet, you can take your factor whenever you have a bleed, and it quits bleeding. Well, this woman here, for how many years did it say here? That she had this issue of blood? Twelve years. She had an issue of blood that... It continued to, to bleed and bleed and bleed. And nobody could figure out what was wrong with it. Nobody could stop it. Can you imagine how weak she was because of the loss of blood? Can you imagine how anemic she was because of the loss of blood? I mean, just all kinds of issues can take place whenever your blood counts low. All kinds of sickness. All kinds of deficiencies because your blood is what causes everything to work right in you. Can you imagine... How this woman for 12 years trying everything desperately and finding that at the end of everything that she tried, it, it failed, it failed, it failed, it failed, it failed. But then all of a sudden you hear about Jesus. Jesus is coming. 
And out of nowhere, this woman, who had went to many physicians, spent all that she had, had not gotten any better, but actually grew worse than she was, when she heard the name of Jesus, she knew if I could just touch his garment, that I'll be made whole. We know that in the Bible, the, the Bible speaks of the garment of Christ, the robe of Christ as his righteousness. If I could just touch Christ's righteousness, I'll be made whole. If Christ's garment will just clothe me, touch me, I'll be made whole. We see this woman who had desperately exhausted herself for 12 years was finally given to trust in Christ alone and knew that the only thing that's going to help me is to touch his garment. And brethren, that's how we are. Whenever the Lord converts us, whenever he gives his spirit to teach us that what we believe about our self-righteousness is sin, that we cannot do anything to heal ourselves spiritually. He gives us a mind of Christ to look to Christ alone and knows that healing doesn't come from within us. It comes from without. It comes from Christ. Isn't it amazing? This woman who had an issue of blood pictured being covered by the blood. This woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years is a beautiful picture of Christ cleansing us, washing us in His blood. The very thing that she had an issue with her whole entire life became a picture of what Christ has done for all of His elect. He has saved us by His blood. And this woman knew that if I just get to the hem of His clothes that He would... Heal me. And said, And when she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. If the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, we are whole. God doesn't see any sin anymore. God doesn't see any wickedness, doesn't see any sin, doesn't see any iniquity. The Bible says, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not sin. If the imputation of Christ's righteousness has been laid to the elect's account, although the elect for a time have no knowledge of that, like this woman, obviously Christ, before the foundation of the world, had every intent of healing this woman of her dreadful disease. We know that in predestination, God determined this woman would get this issue of blood and for 12 years suffer and become worse and worse and worse and come to the very end spending all of her money, all of her effort, all of her sanity to gain healing and do that for 12 years. But yet he was going to heal her. That was predetermined by God. We know it is or it wouldn't have happened, right? It was predetermined by God. But yet God allowed this woman for 12 years to experience this great hardship. And God 
in His people allows His people a time to experience their hardships. To come to know their sins. Listen, whenever a person is born, there is the, the first is the conception of life, right? Whenever a, a, a person is conceived within the womb, there is that first giving of life. There, there's conception there. That's the, that's the, that's the regeneration that some people might call the giving of life. But then there is a gestation period. There's a time between the time of life being given and the birth. See, conception and birth is two separate things. The giving of life and the bringing forth and showing and manifesting of that life are two different things. Whenever you children were conceived in your mother's womb, we couldn't see you. And for a time, we didn't know what you were, whether you was a boy, whether you was a girl, whether you was a dog-faced werewolf. We didn't know what you was. All we knew is that there was life there. But we couldn't see that life. Now, with modern technology, we're able to determine these things. But we didn't determine, we didn't see that. It wasn't until you were actually brought forth out of the womb that that life that was already there was made manifest. And whenever you came forth out of the womb and manifested that life, then there was time of learning, time of growing, time of understanding. Growing and learning, growing and learning, growing and learning, maturing. This woman had been given to know her issue for 12 years. The children of God are given to know their sin for however many years it is before the Lord brings them to a knowledge of their issue to a knowledge of their existence and their need for Christ. We call that conversion. We say that a person who is already born of God, already has the Spirit of God in them, there comes a time as the Lord allows them to experience that grief because only a child of God is actually worried about their sin. See, all these people that's running out here that's not born of God, they're not worried about their sin. Do they know they sin? Yeah, they may know that because they've lived in a country that preach and teach on every corner about sin. So they know that there's something there. And they know about God and they there's innate in them something about God. Because God has put it there. The heavens and the and the, and the moon declare his, uh, his declare his Godship. Okay? But but yet these people, they don't have any hardship in their in their mind, in their heart, the fact that they're sinning. Now are they do they feel guilty, especially when you get caught? Absolutely. If a guy robs a bank and leaves and then later gets caught, does he feel bad about it? Yeah, he feels bad about it. Why? Because he got caught. Does he feel bad that he's a bank robber? No, he doesn't. Does he feel bad that he sinned? No, he doesn't. He feel bad that he got caught. Do we sometimes feel guilty because we did something 
Because our conscience bears on us. Yes, why? Because we know that we're a better person than that. We should be a better person than that. Or because of our status. Or whatever the case. We feel bad about something and then all of a sudden, you know, we feel bad. But do we really feel the weight of how much we have transgressed God? That can only be given in the new birth. That's why we see in the picture that Jesus uh, uh, shared with us in the scripture where there was the publican, the tax collector, the hated among all the people, the sinner, and then the religious leader who were standing there in the in the synagogue, and one was the publican was bowed on his knees, prostrate before God, praying, you know, you know, forgive me, I'm a sinner, and the religious man is standing up saying, I'm glad that I'm, you didn't make me like that guy. One was self-righteous, the other one was, was abased in his sin. God had given this one to know, I'm a sinner before God and a sinner before Him only. This guy here, he thought he was great and before everybody else was righteous. But before God, he was even more a sinner than this guy was. Because he was trying to hide it. He was lying about it. He was deceived about it. This guy didn't know about his sin. Brethren, we don't know about our sin until God gives us that understanding of that. This woman didn't have any understanding of how to be healed until God gave her that understanding. These physicians aren't helping me. My money ain't buying me anything. But wait a minute, there's Jesus. I think he can heal me. If I just touch his clothes, I think I can be healed. What was it that caused that woman to all of a sudden do that? Well, let's, let's move on. He said, For he said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Now, Jesus had many times been through this area. Why had she sought that out before? We don't know. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? Now, does anybody in here think that Jesus didn't know that question, the answer to that question already? Did Jesus know who touched his clothes? There was a lot of people touching his clothes. He was in the middle of a throng. It's called the press. They were all right up against him. You've seen on TV these celebrities whenever they go out into a crowd and everybody just... And they're trying to walk and move and everything or trying to look at for something or do something and all these people are just in their face and all this kind of stuff. Well, that's kind of what we're seeing here. All these people had flooded and thronged Jesus and was pressing against him. And all of a sudden he turns and says, Who touched my clothes? I mean, matter of fact, the disciples even kind of sarcastically answered him. Look at that next verse. Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and you say, who touched me? It's almost like say, come on, Jesus. <laughs> Do you not see all these people that's pressed against you, and you're asking who touched me? It could be a hundred people that touched you. We don't know. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew exactly who it was that touched him. He knew she was going to touch him before she ever touched him. Why did Jesus ask, who touched me? 
You ever thought about that? We're talking about Jesus, who is God, who is omniscient, who knows all things. God knows everything. Matter of fact, God purposed this event before the foundation of the world. And we know the Bible says, Known unto God are all his works, the end from the beginning. Is this not one of the works of God? His virtue coming out of him and healing this woman? That's definitely one of his works, although I would say everything is the work of his handy handiwork. Anyway, he knew this exact point before it even would happen. He predestinated it to happen. So why did he say, who touched my clothes? And then it says he looked around about to see her that had done that this thing. He looked around to see after he said, who, who did this? Well, I think the reason that Jesus asked this, and especially as we compare this in the spiritual to salvation, whenever the Lord changes our hearts and grants us repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, where we turn from looking to self for all the answers to our problems, and we start looking to Christ as the answer to all of our problems. Whenever we start stop trying to exhaust our efforts to heal ourselves and look to Christ as the only one who can heal us, then God desires, has called us to confess that. Whenever we have been given repentance and faith in Christ, God has called us to publicly confess that. He is calling this woman to make herself known. Step out of the crowd and make yourself known and confess. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. The Bible says with the mouth one makes confession. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. Whenever they asked, what must we do? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This woman believed on Christ and she was saved. But then there comes a confession of that. What did Jesus say here? Who touched my clothes? Now he knew everybody around him had been touching him and obviously touching his clothes, but there was among all that multitude one in whom he set his miracle virtue on. One who he had touched, who he had granted to be made whole. And he called for her to confess. Said verse 33, but the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Brethren, if this is not a picture of a truly uh, repentant child of grace, I don't know what is. Now this is talking about a physical healing of an issue of blood, but again, this is speaking of spiritual realities. It, it parallels and shows us the spiritual things. While this is a physical healing, it talks about our spiritual healing in Christ Jesus. This woman 
have been given to fear and tremble and come before Christ and told Him all the truth. Whenever God grants repentance and faith to the child of grace, then they realize, just like in that example of the publican and the religious leaders, that publican had been given to know the depth of his sin, and he came confessing it before God. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. He knew he was a sinner. This other guy, was he a sinner? Yes, he was a sinner. But God had not given him to know that, and thus he stood there thinking that he was better than this other guy who was saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he said, I'm glad you didn't make me like him. I'm righteous. I'm here before you praising you and thanking you and serving you and keeping your law and doing all these things. I'm doing all the Christian things to do. Therefore, I'm all right. And no, I would never be on my face like that, begging God, thinking that I'm a sinner, always talking about how depraved I am. I'm religious. I'm righteous. Oh, I might have been like that back a long time ago, but I've I've learned. I've studied my Bible now, and I've quit drinking and chewing, and I've quit doping, and I've quit adulterating, and I've quit stealing, and I've quit being greedy, and become more all the uh, this. These are all the things. Here's my list. Here's my laundry list of everything that I've done, that I've changed, that I've turned, that's been turned around. I've quit doing. We always have a list of things that we quit doing, but rarely do we have a list of the things that we still are, we still do. We can't change that. We can't change who we are. We can't change the fact that we cannot keep God's law. We might keep some things, but unless you keep all things, you've not kept any of the things, Jesus said. And everybody thinks that if we will just keep so many as we increase our amount of obedience, that we're becoming more holy. No, no, no. The more you try to keep the law, the more it shows how unrighteous you are. And how you cannot keep the law. This woman had went from physician to physician to physician, spent money, spent money, spent years, spent years, spent years. And what happened? It only grew worse. When a child of grace thinks that they can cover up their sin by religious activities and year after year after year trying to add on more religiousness to make them look to be who they are, it cannot cleanse the conscience. It cannot cleanse the fact that they know I have a problem and that is sin and I can't stop it. There's only one person that can make me whole and that's Jesus. This woman knows, I can't stop this issue of blood and neither can all the doctors or all the money that I've ever had. But if I just touch his garment, he'll make me whole. How was she given to know that? She was given to know that by God. She was given to trust in Christ by God. How are we given to know that we are a sinner and cannot keep righteousness and therefore must put all faith in Christ Jesus as our righteousness. We cannot do that except Christ make us whole. We cannot do that unless Christ gives us that spiritual understanding, that spiritual mind, and whenever He does, we come in fear and trembling before Him, knowing that He has saved us, knowing that we are wicked, and we come and we tell Him the truth. I can't do it. 
I can't do it. I can't keep it. If you don't keep the law for me, I'm sunk. If you don't give me righteousness, I have none. I come to you and I'm trusting you. You promised that if I would come, all that come to me who are weary and heavy laden, I will give rest. If I come to you, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to trust you alone. And I'm not going to look at all the religionists anymore. I'm not going to look at all the the quote-unquote Christians out there who are always saying, you got to keep up this appearance, you got to keep up the law, you got to keep in good standing with this, or you got to increase in your holiness, or you're never going to be really a Christian. I'm going to put all those things out of my mind, and I'm going to trust that all the righteousness that you procured in your life, your death, and your resurrection, that it's mine, I'm going to put all my trust, because you promised me. You promised. That's what this woman did. She came and told the truth. She said, I spent years trying to do it myself and I know that I can't do it. I've been brought to a point where I realize there is no hope and I know that you can. And so here I am. I touched her hand because I didn't know where else to go. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what else to think. I didn't know what else to believe. All I was given to believe. And the only thing I can believe is that you're my hope. And I'm going to rest in the fact that if I touch your garment, I'll be whole. And brethren, the child of grace is given to know that of Christ. That if his garment clothes us, then we're whole. There is no more sin to be seen. There is no more sin. The Bible says, Blessed is the man unto the whole the excuse me. Says, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not sin. But the Bible also says these words, Thou hast not seen iniquity in Jacob, nor hath he uh, beheld perverseness in Israel. I think I got those switched backward. Why? Because the shout of king is among them. Brethren, Christ Jesus is among us, and there is no sin. He is removed as far as the east is from the west. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now, whenever Jesus said, thy faith has made her whole, it wasn't her faith that healed her. Okay, a lot of people come to this verse and say, see there, if you just have enough faith, your faith can heal you. You'll be healed. Or if you have enough faith in, because you have faith in Jesus, then Jesus will heal you. Now, listen, this woman would never have had faith unless Christ had given, given it to her, for one. Because not all men have faith. She was given that faith by God. It was divinely given to her. And that she was made whole by the virtue that came from Christ. We just read that, right? It was the virtue that came out of him. That's what healed her. And he didn't give that virtue to her because she believed in him. No, he gave her that virtue so that it might display to her whose faith he had given so that she might behold in glory in him. See, Christ gives us faith so, faith so that we might believe upon him so that the glory of God might be known in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God in salvation. In Romans chapter 9, what does it say? Why are we even elected to God 
and preserved and not uh, and not destroyed with the rest of the reprobates. It says in Romans chapter 9, verse 21, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lung to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, okay, what if God wanted to show his wrath? How does he show his wrath? By creating people for destruction. See, God shows his wrath by destroying. That's how God shows his wrath. And there will come a day in the end when all the wicked will be gathered together and the wrath of God will be poured out upon them and they will be under that eternal Wrath of God. And God will show forth His wrath. He said, What if God willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted unto destruction? That's what I said a while ago. There is no common grace. The only reason that the wicked are still alive and still profit in this world is because God endures with long suffering these vessels, not long suffering so that they might be saved as we are in, in 2 Peter 3 9. But he endures with long suffering these so that they might be destroyed in the end. He has a purpose for them. He has a purpose in showing his power. And that is why they are preserved. That's why they are given life. That's why they are given jobs and promoted and given wealth and fame and fortune and all these other things. It isn't because God has blessed them with common grace. It's because God is preserving them into the day of destruction. Verse 23. And, and okay, so that's one thing that God does with one vessel. That is, make one into dishonor. But what about the ones to honor? He said, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, on the vessels of his mercy, which he hath afore prepared unto glory. Before the foundation of the world, God had prepared our being shown his glory of his grace in showing mercy upon whom he'll show mercy and compassion upon whom he'll show compassion, giving salvation to whom he will give salvation. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us for that glory. And whenever the end of the time shall come, the wicked will be separated and they will be who are fitted for destruction. They will be fit for destruction and experience the wrath of God for all eternity. But those who are the vessels of honor, they will be shown the glory of Christ Jesus in the grace that he has given them. That's what we see here. That's why faith is given. Faith is given on to us to believe that the promises of God are true and amen in Jesus Christ. Faith is given to us so that we might look to Christ and have a full assurance of hope, a full assurance of, of faith that we are His. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are His. What is all this doing? It is telling us that what Christ has done for us and that in the end it will be shown and made manifest. We will see the glory of all of it. <clears throat> That's why he gave her faith so that she could believe on him. See, before he gave her faith, what was she doing? She was hunting down every possible way to heal herself. 
through physicians and with all the money that she had to give. And it just kept getting worse. Whenever we try to become righteous by keeping the law, it just gets worse. It just gets worse. Not only do we deceive ourselves, but we, by the actual act of trying to be righteous before God by keeping the law, is a sin in and of itself. This woman was given faith so that she could believe on Jesus. Jairus was given faith to come to Christ because he knew that Christ is the only one who could make the difference. So let's go on. It says, While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? So basically they come and said, hey, don't worry about bringing him to the house. It's too late. She's already dead. She died. But Jesus, as soon as he heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. So here, Christ has given faith to this religious ruler. He said, and he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John, the brother uh, of James, how often Jesus only secluded out with these three men, Peter, James, and John. They were Everyone said that that was kind of his favorites, you know, but there was 12 disciples, 12 apostles, and Jesus always kept, called out Peter, James, and John. They always got the goodie, you know, they got to go with Jesus here, they got to see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, they got to go with Jesus when he prayed in Gethsemane uh, before his crucifixion. So Peter, James, and John kind of had, had to deal. But why did Jesus call for Peter, James, and John to come with him during this miracle and told all the other people to stay back? Well, there's a couple things we can glean out of this. Number one, we obviously see Jesus, Jesus can choose whoever he wants. Was it unfair that the other disciples and apostles didn't get to go? Some people would think that, well, that's not fair. How come Peter, James, and John? Can you imagine the other disciples? They probably had a little distaste for Peter, James, and John on occasion. Why do those jokers always get to go do everything? How come Jesus always picks them? Keeps him close to, to the side, you know? God is sovereign. He can choose whoever he wants to choose. And he can elevate whoever he wants to elevate. And he can bring forth whoever he wants to bring forth to do whatever it is he wants to do. But the other thing is, is think of this. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three things are established by three witnesses. When Jesus went and healed this young girl, he had three witnesses. So by Jewish custom and law, a thing established by three witnesses. When Jesus, on the Mount of Transfiguration, transfigured himself into his glory and they saw the glory of God in the mouth of three witnesses, a thing is established. John even wrote about it. We beheld his glory. The glory is the only of the begotten of God. We saw his glory on the Mount. Whenever Jesus prayed in the garden, there were three witnesses that was there at least for a little while before they fell asleep that saw Jesus go and pray. 
for his crucifixion. Don't know exactly why Jesus did it, but that could be it. Said he suffered no man to follow him, and he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult. Everybody know what a tumult is? We always sing the hymn, Jesus calls us or the tumult. But do you ever know what you're singing? <laughs> What's a tumult? When I was little I thought it was a grave, a tomb, a tumult. That was just another name. No, tumult is uh discord, it's uh it's chaos, it's uh uh tumultuous. We get the word tumultuous from this word tumult. Okay, it just was upheaval, okay? Jesus seeth the tumult. Everybody upset and sad, crying, wailing. And then that wept and wailed. And when he was coming in, he said to them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. That's kind of odd, right? <laughs> because the people came and said, She's dead. She died. There was no life in her. The sickness overcame her. She died. Well, here again we see the picture of the child of grace. See, in the first miracle we've seen that Jesus healed us of our sin sickness. The one enemy that we have is sin. The other enemy that we have is death. Jesus took care of death too. Whenever he died on the cross, he took care of our sin. But in rising from the grave, he also overcome death. So now sin and death have been defeated. There is no more sin for the child of grace. And the child of grace will never see death. Now will these bodies die? Absolutely. This flesh is going to die. But we will not die. We will never perish. Our spirit, our soul, will not perish. The Bible says that absent from the body, as soon as we die, the Bible says absent from the body, present with the Lord. As soon as we die of this fleshly robe, we're immediately in the presence of the Lord, who we are inwardly as children of grace, that spirit, that soul that God has given us from heaven, that is perfect, that is from the life of Christ Himself, the fountain of life, that He has given to us by His Spirit, that is present with the Lord. We don't cease to exist. We're there with Him immediately. And then we see this beautiful picture that at the resurrection, that life will come again and inhabit a body that is whole, that is without sin. Now, we see it pictured here. What happens? The girl is dead. He goes. Everybody's worried. She's dead. But Jesus comes and says, this woman is not dead. She is asleep. And that's how the Lord always pictures in Scripture the, the death of His people that we have fallen asleep. Because we don't die. We've only fallen asleep. This body's only fallen asleep. But it's going to be raised and created New, a new body. It says in verse 41, or excuse me, verse 40, 
and they laughed him to scorn. That means whenever he said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping, they all laughed at him. Like, this guy's crazy. This guy doesn't know a dead person when he sees it. But they didn't know they were talking to the one who has the keys of death and hell. He knows death. He knows the person who's, who's died. Matter of fact, he's the one who gives everyone the amount of days that they have and knows when someone has died. He said, He put them all out and he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, that would be the Peter, James, and John, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. So all those who laughed to scorn, he put out. But all those who were believing, he brought in. It's another picture, brethren, whenever the Lord comes at the end. The Bible says that he's going to take all the wicked and he's going to gather them together and he's going to take them away. He's going to remove them. He's going to like chaff. He's going to remove all the chaff. He's going to come and and his winnowing fork and he's going to come in here and he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff and he's going to remove the chaff and he's going to burn them up. The tares are going to be taken away. The goats are going to be removed from the sheep. What's going to be seen here? Those who have eternal life are going to see. Not death, but life. So he brought in the ones that didn't laugh him to scorn. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, rise. <laughs> and straightway the damsel rose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished. Isn't it amazing? <clears throat> I have to go back and kind of look into this. This woman had an issue of blood how many years? Twelve. Twelve years. How old was this girl whenever he rose her to life? Twelve years. I I don't know if there's any meaning behind that, but it's just something I just noticed. And they were astonished with great astonishment, and he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. So the Lord healed her. He raised her from the dead. The Bible says that Jesus has been given power over death, that he is the resurrection and the life. That he has been given power over all flesh to give eternal life. And he says, all that come to me in the last day I will raise up. Just like this young girl. He raised her to life and in the end he will raise all of us who are his. Life. It says, and he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her. Now, why did he do that? Jesus just performed one of the greatest miracles you could ever see, raising somebody from the dead. And why did he tell them, don't tell anybody about it? Now, was it going to be known? It was going to be known. As soon as that girl walks out of that door, everybody's going to know Jesus healed her. Okay? But why did he say it at this time? Well, a couple of things. Again, remember the religious leaders hated him at this time and were always searching for a way to kill him. But every time they tried to find a way to kill him, the Bible says that he got away from them, slipped away from them. Something happened, you know, that he prevented them from being able to kill him because his hour was not yet come. There was a specific hour for him to be put to death. It had to align with the purpose of God it had to align with the type and foreshadow of God. 
He had to die on the Day of Atonement to fulfill the law. Uh, so all these things, his hour had not yet come. And so that was another reason he said, hey, don't say anything to religious leaders about this. This is uh, going to get them riled up, and it's not my time, so we're not going to press on with this. But it said he commanded her to give her something to eat. As I understand this, I would say that he would give her something to eat for, for one, to show that she was actually alive and not a ghost or an apparition or a spirit or whatever, that she truly was alive from the dead. Okay, they weren't just seeing a vision. It was actually, she was truly alive and that she was given to eat. She was able, she was back to health. Nothing was wrong with her. She was able to eat. Where before she was sick, probably not being able to eat. You know, whenever we're sick, what we don't want to eat most of the time. You know, we don't feel like eating. We lose our appetite. Well, here she was given to eat, showing that she was fully healthy, fully able. Whenever the resurrection comes, brethren, the Lord's going to show forth that we are fully alive and at full health. No sin. We'll have that body that is not plagued anymore with the natural, but is clothed with the spiritual. We read of that in 1 Corinthians, and I'll just stop with this. In 1 Corinthians 15. It says, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another fish, and of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, and one star differed from another star in glory. So also is in the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption and is raised in incorruption. So this body that goes into the ground is going to go into the ground, a corrupt body, but it's going to be raised incorrupt. It is sown in dishonor. It's a dishonorable body. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. But it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. And it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So it is written, The first man Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which was spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Kind of goes along with what we talked about the last couple weeks. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthly, that's what we bear now in these mortal bodies, these corrupt bodies, As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So that heavenly body that Christ had, we are going to show 
that we are going to bear that same image, we'll be given a heavenly body without sin. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And so we see through this miracle, Jesus has healed this girl fully. She is back to health and made whole. The woman that had an issue of blood had no hope, but was made whole through Jesus and the plague and the sickness that she had. Jesus took care of it. And when we look at that in the spiritual, we see that Jesus heals us of our sin problem and our death problem. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. The Bible says that uh, the wages uh, of sin is death. This body is going to experience death. It's dying from the moment we were conceived in the womb. Before we ever came out of the womb, we started dying. That's what, that's what, see this white in my beard? See that? See the wrinkles? What wrinkles I have that my fat don't push out? <laughs> the wrinkles, the bodies with scars, wounds that don't want to heal hardly anymore. Bruises that don't want to heal up anymore. Got that from giving, getting blood taken out at the doctor earlier this week. And bruise still there. Didn't heal very fast. Why is that? Because we're all deteriorating. We're all dying. From the moment that we're born until we die, we're dying. In dying, we will die. Because of sin and dying, we will die. We will experience an ongoing Gradual progression of death until it's finally done. We're dying. We've died. We've died. But there's one who's overcome sin and there's one who's overcome death. And if we are God's children, if we're His, we too are overcomers. We have overcome sin and death by His grace. And so what a glorious picture we find in the miracles of Jesus not only the very lovingness of Jesus to perform these miracles upon these poor souls, but also the spiritual reality that we see behind it in those who could not save themselves and what Jesus has done for them. All right, does anybody have any questions or any comments? Right, them little notes were long, wasn't it? All right, let's down have a word of prayer. Father, we once again want to ask you to bless this time together and bless this day. And we pray, Lord, that your Son has been glorified. And we pray, Lord, that these brethren have been edified. We ask you to keep us safe until we meet again or you come again, whichever is the, uh, happens first. And so, Lord, we just are grateful uh, for all that you are and all that you have done. We thank you for life. We thank you for uh, the removal of sin. We thank you for the uh, removal of death for your children and that we no more have to worry about that but we can rest in you that we are right before God and that we are going to be raised alive in Christ Jesus at the resurrection and so thankful for all that you have done it's in your name that we pray Amen <laughs>